today we're gonna crush the mental health stigma. Joining me are Blake Lotz and Michelle Bagnell. We're gonna get real. We're gonna talk it out. I wanna welcome you to episode 25, the mental health edition of the Lifestyle Chase. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to episode 25, a special mental health edition of the Lifestyle Chase. Joining me today are Blake Lotz and Michelle Bagnell. So, I'm going to uh, take turns with my two guests here. We're going to start with Blake. How's your day going so far? Pretty darn good. Yeah, can't complain. So, what have you done so far today? Honestly, I went to a little cafe and I met with the executive director of the Mental Health Foundation. We just had a chat about future and upcoming projects. It was pretty, pretty cool. Nice. Take me through the busiest day of your week. I think today is the busiest day of my week. Yeah, I had an appointment this morning, then hanging out with you guys, and then I'm off to actually see my own psychiatrist after. So yeah, today is pretty much my busiest day. Um, I, for my own mental health, I, I don't really like do super, super, super busy stuff, but this is like, this is my max busy. Yeah, makes sense, makes <laughs> yeah. sense. All right, Michelle, it's your turn. Okay. I had a really good day today so far. Um, in terms of my busiest day throughout the week, so right now my month's kind of shifted a little bit. So for the last six months, I've been full-time nursing and I do evenings. So I usually work 3.30 to 11.30. And uh, every single morning I wake up, I meditate. Then I do my online coaching with my clients for a couple hours and then I go and nurse. And I've been really lucky this last month to shift back into online coaching full-time. So. Yeah, that's what I've been doing this morning. I woke up, um, meditated. That's how I always start. Um, and then just kind of set my intention for this podcast and what I want to share. And yeah, that's, that's cool. Perfect. So this podcast is going to be a little bit of a different format than most of the others. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. And I thought the best way to kick it off is to speak to something that resonates with how important mental health is to me. Uh, this is a story about my aunt that uh, she she died by suicide when I was eight years old. And actually on my phone, I'm going to pull it up. I have a letter that she wrote to me in March of 2000. It came with 10 pages and I only have two pages left, which I got my, my mom to scan and email to me not too long ago. So I'm going to read it. This is page one. Dear Christian. I sure liked your letter. It was filled with good happy news. I think it's great that you are a good skater now. I am glad that you are a good student in school and you play the piano so well. Seven hours is a long time to read. Keep stopping those soccer balls. Darn those grade three students who keep making you start over. Do the meals by moms make it easier to stand the two math periods? You have good teeth from brushing them. It is very special to be student of the week. I want to come see you riding your bicycle in the spring, if my doctor will let me come for a visit. Do you know what? Your cousins loved the Saturday morning cartoons when they were your age. 
they still like the cartoons even now too when they were older and now the other page I have is page three so she starts off by saying and there are no slivers to get my fingers in right now the men have built 45 so she's talking about picnic tables that the men build and then the females paint them uh, she says we have to paint each a dark brown color Wednesday morning and Wednesday afternoon are just like Monday I go to the gym in the morning and also to the greenhouse in the morning and the afternoon Thursday morning I have a meeting with a lady that helps me work on problems I am having Thursday afternoon I go back to the greenhouse again Friday morning I go to the swimming pool and Friday afternoon I go back to paint some more picnic tables on Saturday and Sunday, I can sleep longer in the morning. I can watch TV, but they won't put it to the cartoon channel, doggone it. I can wash my clothes. I can go on a walk outside. On Sunday at supper time, usually Uncle Francis and your cousins come to visit. They bring food like A&W Kentucky Fried Chicken Pizza and even, and then that's the end of that letter. And something really special about my aunt was Whenever we had a Christmas gathering or any kind of like a family gathering, she would beeline straight for me. I'd be playing Lego, I'd build something, she'd come talk to me about how I was building something. She was always a big cheerleader in just everything that I did, as you saw in the letter. Um, so that letter was from March 2000, and she died by suicide April, April 6, 2000. So... I just want to talk about her legacy as an eight-year-old kid not really understanding what what this meant what what this looked like what what mental health was how how to be healthy what what unhealthy looked like and all those things you have so many questions and obviously it's, it's stuck with me and still sticks with me and her legacy speaks to the moments that that I've seen her in my life. Like, she was a cheerleader in the biggest way. Um, my my cousin, he actually did a Fringe Festival performance. It's entitled With You, and it's uh, in the Fringe Festival 2016. So if you look up Sean Pallia, you'll be able to find it on YouTube, and it speaks to his experience with, with her passing. Um, middle of an Oilers game, and they're losing. And she was relentless, like she was not going to have it. She was not going to just let people sit down and not cheer for their team. So she was like, go, Oilers, go. And like she just kept going until finally like, everybody was just so scared that they had to cheer. And it just, it stands out like how many people can actually be that positive? So I thought about this podcast and I think about mental health and I see all those billboards and all the Bell Let's Talk stuff and I'm like, how many people can personify mental health? Like how many people can really like look at just anybody and understand how real and how like there and here and right now mental health is because a lot of people know me for my positivity, but I don't think a lot of people understand that I was impacted by a close family member's struggle with mental health and I am still impacted by a close family member's struggle with mental health because my, my aunt had two kids, and one was her son who did the, the act in the fringe, and the other is her daughter who has been battling bipolar for 10 years and continues. And 
in her on her Facebook, she put out a pledge to uh, donate towards a uh, suicide support line, and it's just like this is happening right here, right now. And I think about what what can I possibly do? And honestly, if I rack my brain, I have a voice. I have people that can magnify it. I can speak to my own experiences. I can share why this means so much. Like I have a purpose, I have a role. And so it's my pleasure to be to be joined by Blake and Michelle here today. And without further ado, I'm gonna pass it on to Blake. Okay, that was a really awesome story. So do you just wanna know my story then? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um Oh, my story's long, but let's see. Let's do the abbreviated version. Um, I was been, like, when I was 10 years old, I was being, like, super, super bullied in elementary school. Um, very uh, abusive group of girls, just horrible, horrible to me. Um, so when I, I was 10 years old, that was the first time I thought of suicide. I was being... There's these group of girls, they were physically surrounding me in a pool, yelling things at me, and I remember consciously for the first time at 10, thinking like, if I just, I could just drown myself here and it would all be over. And that was kind of the start of a bit of my mental health journey, but at the age of 14, I got really, um, I started having really obtrusive thoughts, really bad anxiety, worrying all the time, worrying so much that I couldn't get out of bed. Um, I spent the entire summer um, in bed and in my room and uh, unable to get out of the room. And um, I was super sick, super, super sick. And thankfully, my mom had, not thankfully, but like because of my mom's own experience with depression and anxiety, she recognized the symptoms that I was experiencing. And so she decided to take me to our family doctor. So this was 1994. So my mom took me to our GP and my GP said, yes, like you are very sick. You have depression, um, severe depression and anxiety. And so he prescribed me Prozac and sent me on my way with a prescription. And from there, um, something happened that forever changed my life. But um, my mom in the parking lot said to me, she, like, I don't remember much in my childhood or much in my life, but I do remember this moment. And basically she, out of love and out of fear for me, she leaned over to me and said, you know, you can't ever tell anyone that you have depression because people don't understand these sorts of things. And I remember immediately wondering why I couldn't tell anybody about it because it was not something that I had done. It wasn't something that I didn't cause. So I didn't really understand why I should have to be ashamed of something that wasn't my fault. And I was always really into human rights and justice issues. And I always didn't understand why certain people were discriminated for things like their skin color and other, you know, sexual orientation. And I, and I didn't like understand why I should have to be ashamed of this too. To me, it was just like a human rights issue. So um, from that moment on at the age of 14, I started doing advocacy work. Um, I did it in more subtle ways back in the 90s because, you know, people weren't talking about it. But 
there was no such thing really like as the internet so I could go on the internet and find out information and do research and stuff and I would go to the library and do research on mental health and mental illness and um and anytime there was like a school presentation on mental illness or not even mental illness there was no one was talking about it so anytime there was like a school presentation on like social justice issues or um like I remember in biology we had to do like do a presentation on a disease and I always picked like mental health related stuff so from a very young age I've been doing advocacy and my way of doing that advocacy has kind of changed but I was hospitalized uh, twice as an adolescent for my mental health um for depression and then hospitalized once at the age of 20. And it was when I was 20 that I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. And then, um, yeah, so kind of struggling with my mental health for most of my life. Um, at one point, decided to become a psychiatric nurse so that I could help others with their mental health. And then I, during that time, had really discovered my love for photography and that photography was like the one mindful activity that I had in my life and so um I started doing photography and photographing people and then left nursing to become a full-time photographer and had always dreamed of taking photos of people with mental health issues and telling their stories so I kind of dreamed and dreamed for like I think it was 14 years of this project that I really wanted to do. And then um, August 11th, 2014 was the day that I kind of decided to do it because that was the day that Robin Williams died by suicide. Uh, Robin Williams was my hero and part of the reason why I was able to succeed in life was because I knew that he was. And um, when I was a kid like when I was 14 and doing research about people with mental health issues, I discovered Robin Williams and how he has bipolar disorder. And I felt like if he had bipolar disorder and could be successful, then I could too. So when he died by suicide, I was like, my world kind of was shattered for a while. And um, while it was really sad that he died, um, it the world kind of changed that day. And people finally started talking about mental illness on the internet and everyone on Facebook was like, I have this or my friend has this or my dad did this and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, so that was kind of like a huge watershed moment in my life and in the mental health advocacy world. And um, from that moment on, that's when I started taking photos of people with mental health issues and sharing their story. And then about, it'll be two years ago, two years ago, like I think February, March, um, that I almost ended my own life. Um, I was very, very, very sick, the sickest I've ever been and the closest I ever come to dying. And um, yeah, I was hospitalized for two weeks. And um, once I was discharged, I was put on a medication that has like revolutionized my life. And it's the first time I think in 23 years that I have been healthy or well. And um, in this two years, I started a mental health organization called We All Believe in You, which is basically a peer support organization for people with mental health issues. Um, mainly the purpose of it is to create a community for those that are suffering because mental illness is so isolating and people feel like freaks and they feel alone and then no one understands and so 
We All Believe in You was started to address that issue and make people feel less alone. And it was kind of started with the portraits that I did and did some shows and stuff with the portraits. Um, but the real heart of the work comes from creating a community for people with mental health issues. So that's kind of where my story is. But yeah, yeah, so yeah. Good, I like that. Yeah. Michelle, your turn. Okay. I. I love what you just said about Robin Williams. I just went to Tony Robbins last week, actually, and it's pretty profound. He did an exercise where he's like, I want everybody in the audience to raise their hand if they loved Robin Williams. And he's like, not like, like, put your hand down if you like him. Put your hand up if you loved him. And it honestly was like 90-something percent of the room. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I want to cry, but he's, he was talking about the mastery of fulfillment versus the mastery of achievement. And he's like, I want you to leave this room and I want you to study both. And um, he's like, you can look at Robin Williams, like anything that he said he wanted to do in life, he did it. Like he wanted to be one of the best comedians. He wanted to have his own TV show. He wanted a Grammy. He wanted da 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 da. He got it, he got it, he got it, cool. Um, and then he got really like, this is where I, of course, cause through my experience, um, he got really visual and he's like, he, hung himself and then his wife and daughter found himself in the home and he's like what did Robin Williams master fulfillment or achievement and so throughout that process of achievement he kind of just compared fulfillment and what actually fills you and what actually and so there's so many different perspectives with mental health but I just thought that that was like a very interesting way like he did a lot of what perhaps he felt he needed to do and like I could kind of correlate that to a lot of my dad and that's that story so um, same as you, my story is super long, but I'm going to try to shorten it a little bit here. So when I was, I was my whole life, I wasn't, I was very shut off to mental illness. Like I had a perception of it. I was always a very empathetic and understanding person, but it wasn't something that my eyes were extremely open to, um, university for the first time. So when I started studying mental illness, like I really took it on and I was like, Oh, like it kind of sounds like I could have this or I could have that, or I felt like this before, um, and in university for the very first time I was drinking and I was hanging out with like a group of people that didn't really align with my values, but it was kind of what I felt like I needed to do at that age. Cause I felt like everybody at that age went out and they drank and, um, I felt super crappy afterwards. Like it would impact me for not just like a day, but an entire week. And then I remember the summer, it was my second year of nursing school. I started working at a gym just part time and, um, getting into movement and just kind of exposing myself to people who are a little bit more aligned with my values and learning more about nutrition and meditation and yoga and just kind of dappling into that stuff. And I was like, wow, these things, like, they really make me feel good and they really make me function at like a way higher vibrational frequency from day to day. And um, so that was kind of an interesting thing for me. And throughout my whole journey with mental health, I'm always kind of looking maybe looking at it a little bit differently from other people because of how I was raised. So I was raised by a mom who told me that I can heal from anything from a very young age. And so that was my belief, like very natural, very holistic. And when I would like fall off course in certain areas of life, she'd kind of get me to reassess, like, are you sleeping? Who are you hanging out with? Are you doing things that are aligned with what you love? And that always resonated with me. And sometimes it didn't. Sometimes I would have times and I'm like, I just feel low and I don't know why. And, um, it would take me a little bit of time or perhaps talking to a professional or doing different things to connect the dots and be like, oh, actually you went through this and like you just kind of kept going and put your head down and you didn't actually work through it. So 
Um, that was my very first in university where I was like, mm, I don't feel like myself. Maybe I'm depressed. Maybe I'm anxious. Maybe. Um, and then also with nursing too, I was working in like a lot of psychiatric areas and had a very medical perspective of a lot of psychiatry, which is, I think that there's a super good benefit to that. And I think having both perspectives are really important. Um, but I would just look at people from a medical perspective and not like, maybe you've been through a lot of trauma. Maybe you've been, maybe you've struggled with addiction, maybe you didn't have parents growing up. Like, and then once I started to hear more stories of people who struggled, uh, it was just different. There's such a, there's such a spectrum of different differences between each story, but I started to hear some commonalities in between each one. So I finished university. I always had like a very big passion for preventative health as well. So while I was nursing, I was kind of getting certifications for different things on the side. So my personal training, all of those. And um, that's kind of how I've always been called to help people. So even though I was working in a medical setting, I would always be utilizing those things as well and just seeing how many people I could help in that way. Um, I started traveling a lot too. And traveling also opened my eyes a lot to how different people in the world heal, how different people interpret mental illness. Um, like even in China, they don't define silent illness. It's just, um, they don't give a name to it, which is interesting. Or in India, they gave me some really different perspectives of losing my dad to suicide and like their religious perspectives around it. And that was super fascinating because for them, it's like an empowering thing. It's just, it's so different how every culture and every place perceives mental illness so differently. So coming out of university, I went to Peru. I traveled there for a little while, had a wonderful trip. I came home. Um, my whole life, I've been extremely close to my dad. My parents were divorced at a young age. I have four siblings and he was my best friend my entire life. And he never remarried after my mom. He worked super hard in the oil field. He would go out of town for three weeks, made phenomenal money. Um, at 58, he bought like his dream man cave cabin, like the absolute man dream, like two hours outside of the city. It was like, there's a huge shop. It was right on the lake. It was everything he dreamed of. Um, but he would often talk to me about not being in a job that was aligned with who he was. He felt like he couldn't meet anybody to fall in love with. He felt like um, people weren't coming out and seeing him enough. And I noticed him increasingly start to worry as the years went on. Then he was diagnosed with prostate cancer a year before everything happened. And um, for me, that was super hard to comprehend. That was probably one of the hardest things that I went through at life at that time. And I knew a lot about prostate cancer. I knew that the prognosis was not um, super extreme. And they, the doctor said, we're gonna take out your prostate essentially. And so once his prostate was out, um, he was he was fine the cancer was gone it was localized but with a guy getting his prostate out what happens is impotence and incontinence and so my dad no longer had control over those things which is something he obviously wouldn't be comfortable talking to me about but it's something as a nurse that i know and then he became really worried about just like death and health and everything and he made some really positive changes but still started to worry more and more then he was diagnosed with a hernia and well, I was right before I left to Peru, he had hernia surgery. And I came back from Peru. He called me on the phone. I actually just listened to his voice messages the other day. And it's fascinating because he sounds so happy. And my dad, no matter what, like I didn't define my dad as being mentally ill. It wasn't like he was a worried dad in my eyes. I would have never been like, oh, this guy's negative to be around. He's low. Like there's, he was so vibrant and he was so loving and he was so empathetic. It was just, 
I'm the luckiest person in the world to have the dad that I had. Um, and so he called me and he, I got a voicemail and he's like, sweetie, I would love to see you. Um, when you're done work, let me know when you can come out and drive out and see me. And I got a call from his work two days after that voice message. I was just like working full time and they're like, Michelle, your dad hasn't come into work for the last couple of days. And I didn't, like, I kind of thought, hmm, like maybe he got the dates mixed up. Like I've never really heard of my dad not going into work. Maybe like I was thinking something with like his heart or after surgery, like I just didn't know. And so I called my mom and we got in the car and we drove to his place. And I like, op I opened the side door and I went in and I found my dad after he hung himself. And it was just the, the craziest thing I've ever been through. And my mom froze for about 10 minutes and same thing. I remember Blake, like I remember thinking, I can't tell people how my dad died. I honestly, there's such a, I'm like the people wouldn't believe it. I'm like, do I say a heart attack? Like, what do I, what do I say? And then I like very quickly switched my mindset and was like, holy shit, I need to share this because it's not talked about enough. And that's why things like this happen. Like I, I can, I can never put a reason behind why my dad did what he did. And I've had people ask me, why did this happen? It's not one thing. There's so many things that I feel accumulated over the years. There's so many things that I don't feel he talked about with me. And I feel like I was one of the closest people to him in the entire world. And that breaks my heart. And I had no idea what was going on mentally with him. And he wore such a strong mask. And I had no idea how painful mental illness was. And I didn't get it until after that. And there were some things that happened to my brain after that experience. Like I'm at that time, I was such a type A and such an achiever that I didn't want to believe that I wasn't okay. And so I almost pushed like the other extreme to show people that I was super okay. Like I'm, I'm going to talk about mental illness and make this a good thing when it's like, I was super mentally ill at that time. And I just, it took me six months before it got super bad. Um, I went back to work right away. I nursing. And then I realized very shortly afterwards that I just can't nurse at this time. I can't be in an area where I'm working with mental illness and mentally ill myself and grieving. And I didn't understand that, but my manager was like, Michelle, I love you. Please go on stress leave and take care of yourself. And that's when I switched to personal training because I felt like I could help people a lot in that time. And so even then I looked like such a high functioning person. Like I was waking up at three in the morning. I was starting work at five. I was personal training people until noon and then I was going in my car like car crying for like two hours and then going back into work and then working out and training people till nine and I did that for six months and then I broke down like it was not to anybody on the outside but on the inside I was just like you and that's when I went to India and that's when I got my yoga instructor training and that's when I meditated for the first time and it wasn't wasn't much, I just stopped. I stopped and I recognized that I wasn't okay. I took time to heal and that was one of the most powerful things. So now I do, I do online coaching and I have my own retreat company because I know how powerful that experience was for me. And I was just able to connect with other people while I was there and hear their stories. And a lot of people have been through similar things. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty much, that's my story. And it's, it's always evolving and changing. And I heard something this morning that was kind of cool. It was it's a quote by Albert Einstein. He's like, if you can't put something simply, you don't understand it well enough. And I think it's taken me, this is in April, it'll be three years. And it's taken me so much time to understand what I went through and what he went through 
and how mental illness is so different for everybody and all the different faces and shapes and forms that it can take, but I'm getting there. And um, I'm really excited to be talking about it and, and a place where I can share it a little bit now. That's awesome. Uh, so good. Thanks. So that kind of reminded me of like the, the morning when I found out about my aunt and how she died by suicide. And it was just like being a kid, you wake up for breakfast. And I just kind of remember like, as I said, like the letter was like a month before it happened. So I almost in that moment that they gave me the news, my, my parents came to my room and they, they told me they, they had to tell me something about, about my aunt. And in that moment, I was like, should I have written more more letters? Because in yeah. a way, I kind of felt like I was helping, like I was creating positivity. And being someone who is known for creating positivity today, like that that could have impacted me to make me who I am. But it's just, you're a kid, you're eight years old, you don't really understand. You don't know, like, was this a me thing? Was it a her thing? Yeah. And as I get older, like I, I talked to my mom on the phone when I was planning for this and my mom was like, and you know, like this was something that she battled for years. She battled it before she had kids and like my cousins are quite a bit older than me. Like they, they're well into their adulthood. They're I think at least 13 and plus older and like she, she had a life of battling and she had ups and downs and it's just there there aren't necessarily just straightforward answers and it doesn't just take on one one appearance or one outside look kind of thing um when when she was younger like growing up with my dad because my my dad's family was fairly big and they grew up on a farm and my aunt would relentlessly protect my dad because my, my aunt was like the older sibling for my dad. He was the, the baby of the family. And like, I think my dad told me this story about how some chickens came to, like came after my dad. And she was like, nope. And just like charged for him. Or like she, she was always protective. And just these, these traits that uh, you look up to people with these traits. And so I think, the, the most important thing about this this podcast is like we we have people who have strong traits we're, we're known for our strong traits we're we're in the fitness industry we're on the the fitness cover of Yeg Fitness magazine like people know us for our strength but all three of us have our times when we're, we have our highs and we have our lows and I can speak to that with utmost confidence like I I struggle with mental health and I don't know what you would call it, but I believe that everybody does to some extent. I don't think there's anybody that I've had on the podcast that doesn't. I think it's just a matter of it looks different to everybody. And so I want to jump into three questions that we're all going to answer. And the first one is, what do you do to maintain mental health? And this is something that I'll start with answering. And I think for me, Something that's really important to me is being around really honest, really authentic people and prioritizing that and finding the things that are non, non-negotiables, like just the things that you need. So I have people that have been a huge impact in my life and like realizing that is empowering because I'm like, okay, like these people, they're here, they get to stay, like I need them here. And 
in some cases that's family and in some cases it's friends that become family so I keep in close touch with family but then I also have friends that I'll talk to every day I'll go to some some group fitness classes that I attend like I'm known for going to spin classes that's truly therapy like and I think that's the case for a lot of people I think some people can just say it on a podcast that's going to be heard by all kinds of people and some people will just keep it to themselves but whether it's yoga or spin or crossfit or you're in a powerlifting community and that's just your thing that's your therapy and that's like a non-negotiable and it's so important to just get on a podcast and like declare it because when life gets busy and there's these things that you you kind of put to the back burner and things change we need to acknowledge there's certain things that we need in our life whether it's our people our activities our communities and it just keeps us stable and then i'm going to jump into the next one and what is out there if you feel alone and this is from my perspective for how for how I work with mental health. If, if I'm having a point where I am hitting a low, I have my, my established group of friends, like my friends that I know will lift me up. And sometimes I know that I just have to like get out of the house or do something that is usually it's like, it's alcohol will not solve things. So I know when it's not a night to go out for a beer. I know when it's a night to just like go for a drive with a friend and just to have that friend and to know that there's so many people, like honestly, most of the people that listen to this podcast are probably willing to be that friend for just about anybody where you just drop everything, hop in the car, drive around for no reason, pick up the phone, talk for no reason and just create space. And that's, that's truly what I think is important to mandate. That's kind of why I make podcasts in person whenever I can. Obviously, if they're in Germany, then I have to Skype them. But in-person connection is so integral. And I implement that into my, my life. Like as a entrepreneur, personal trainer, like somebody with like no necessarily straightforward wage. It's just kind of you hustle, you put food on your table or repeat. But it's important. Personal connection. Like we can't... We can have social media, that's okay, but just to like connect with people. My next one is, what are the top five things you need in your life? And I'll try and make it short. And it's basically like my, my people, my, my support group. Um, talking with uh, Ula yesterday on episode 24, she talked about her, her board of directors and her, her people that kind of empower her, have her back. Like those people are non-negotiables. Like if they, if they move, I move like they stick around uh number two and it's just my activities and at this point in my life it's it's spin but being around these people that are integral to me number three keeping keeping in contact with my family that's like a a pillar for me and it's i can't always reach out to like aunts and uncles and cousins but i have my siblings i have my my sister-in-laws i have my nieces i have my parents and just mandating that that time where it's like okay no we got to drop everything we we celebrate birthdays we celebrate christmas and that's important to me and it's a it's a pillar we have our group chats i talk to my parents very 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 regularly and it's important number four i would have to say it's just like honoring honoring your body because like the food that we eat can really alter how things play out like 
we can see something happen and respond to it a lot differently if we're putting crap in our body. And so acknowledging that I think is important because sometimes people need to be called out. Like sometimes people are like, oh, well, I'm just, I've hit a low. And it's like, what did you eat? McDonald's every day of the week. Well, fix it. And the fifth is just changing it up, getting out of your comfort zone. Like, I think at least once a week, I tell my parents to go to yoga. I'm like, I don't care how uncomfortable you are, go to yoga. I don't care if you have to drive to Edmonton because they live outside Edmonton about an hour. I'm like, go to yoga. Because I think one of the most pivotal moments in the last five years for me is when I entered into the fitness industry and it was just, it basically started with being incredibly uncomfortable going to a spin class and then incredibly uncomfortable going to a yoga class. And I was just like, what am I doing here? Like, because unlike a lot of male trainers, I am relentless for picking the things that are female dominant. Like I'll go into the thing where I stick out like a sore thumb and I'll know it, but being comfortable in that area of discomfort has made me a lot more resilient and kind of kept my, my brain fresh. And it's truly like, in, in my experience, mental health for me is a strengthening of the brain. Because just like any other muscle, we, we, train, we train everything in our body and it's not just bicep curls and the squat rack. Like there's so much more to health and it's rounded. So with that being said, we're gonna pass it on to Blake. And I'll remind you our first question is, what do you do to maintain mental health? Hmm, what do I do to maintain my mental health? Um, so I'm in a, like, a really interesting state of transition in that I am separating from my husband of, we've been together for 16 years. So I'm like very much in an emergency mode of my life where I am, um, you know, just very much caring for myself and accepting that things are difficult and hard. And so some of the things that have helped me in my mental health then, now and in the past previously are like medication. Um, I think there's a lot of stigma and shame that goes around having to take medication and that, um, you know, I think too that a lot of people are like, well, you can do it naturally and you can do this activity and that activity and do this and do this and then you don't need medication. No, some people like need medication <laughs> and I am one of them and I, um, I work constantly with people who need medication and I think that that needs to be like a super accepted um okay not a weak form of treatment so my medication is like you know really really helps me and I take multiple medications and that's you know has its own stigma and shame associated associated with as well um for me it's like having a really awesome care team i have a psychiatrist who you know helps me with all my medications i also have a therapist that i see weekly um just having like a good treatment team even like my pharmacist who knows about my situation and just having a group of people around me that kind of know how to support me just medically and my GP, my family doctor, amazing. So just having a really strong treatment team has been really integral to my wellness. Um, I think, honestly, like, um, 
giving back to the community has been really integral to my wellness. It's really helped me feel like I have purpose and that I have value. Um, so giving to the community in terms of like mental health and um, trying to use some of my story for some some change in the world has been really helpful for my mental health. Um, I'd love to say that fitness was a larger part of my life, but it's like not and it should be um but um that is when I am like physically active it totally helps nutrition has always been helpful for me as well like I have to I'm very much in like because I'm in such a state of transition with separation it's that like you know I don't you know where I'm gonna get my next meal but you know so that's difficult but um just like really amping up the um my care team and um, the We All Believe in You community has been just as, you know, like even though I'm the one who kind of put all the thing together, um, the community has been so supportive and such a huge portion of my life. And just um, so community and the people around me have been super important for my mental health. Um, so that's mainly how I take care of myself and my dogs. My dogs are the greatest and they are like my world. So they are very, very helpful as well. But yeah, those are some of the ways that I kind of take care of myself and like giving myself the grace and understanding to know that I'm not doing well. And like, what do I have to do to make myself better? And just giving myself that amount of patience and understanding has been really helpful. So yeah. Tell us more about the We All Believe in You project. So yeah, we all believe in you. Um, just started with me taking photos of people with mental health issues and telling their stories. And basically, I interviewed everyone personally, like sometimes for hours about their mental health struggles. And um, so it just started out as the photos. But one thing that I noticed is that people were really lacking a community and really lacking support and feeling really alone and isolated. And so I decided to start a Facebook page or community for people who I photographed. And from there, it just kind of grew and grew. And then people like started joining the Facebook page. And then one of the most common things that people were asking for was to meet in person. And so I decided, okay, well, like maybe we'll go on a couple dog walks, see what kind of happens. And from there, we started having meetings, like in-person peer support meetings. And so um, as of June 1st, we started having in-person support peer support meetings. So we've been doing them for like over six months. And what they started out as like four people, four to six people, and now we have like 25 show up. So um, we have them three times a week. And it's just like a really supportive, beautiful community of people who are struggling with their mental health from all different walks of life, all different socioeconomic statuses, all different disorder, like mental health disorders. Like, um, and it's really interesting because, you know, I was a psychiatric nurse and part of what I was worried about by starting We All Believe in You is that people were going to come from so many different places and like you know, in their wellness journey, like a super chronic schizophrenic hanging out with someone who has like an anxiety disorder. I was like, how are these people going to meet? And they, they do, they meet on the basic level of like human connection and everyone has the same human needs. And so it's just really cool to see these people support one another through their wellness journeys. And yeah, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of in my life. And like, 
Yes, I do a lot of speaking engagements and have won a handful of awards for what I do, but what I'm most proud of is when I'm in a meeting and someone is struggling and someone else from a totally different world comes in and shows them love and support. That's the thing I'm most proud of. And sometimes I sit in those meetings and like tears fall out of my eyes because I'm just so, it's so beautiful. So yeah, that's, we all believe in you. We have like big plans for the future of all the things we want to do. And it's just so, it's growing so rapidly and it's just the most amazing, beautiful community of wonderful people. So yeah, that's... So people that are listening to this, they could just find you on Facebook? Yeah, so we are, we all believe in you, dot, 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 the community. And so there's 700 of us in the group. Um, If you come to Wavy meetings, though, we have like a separate Facebook group. So uh, for those people, but yeah, generally... Wavy kind of started its life on Facebook, which is part of the reason that I now have a f- like a relationship with Facebook, actually, like the, the big conglomerate of developed a relationship with them um, because of the change that we're doing on Facebook. So, yeah, it's been pretty cool. So, yeah. I almost forgot about that. Tell us more about your role with Facebook. Uh, so I... Um, Like a year ago, someone just dropped a little note in my inbox like, hey, Blake, have you seen this opportunity? You might be interested in it. And it was uh, Facebook's new Facebook community leadership program. So basically, Facebook has a new training program where they train global leaders who use Facebook as a tool for change in the world. And so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll apply. Like, what's the worst that could happen? I'll never hear back. So... I applied and didn't hear anything for months and months and I was like well you know I didn't even think about it because like so many people applied but then yeah I got an email um, probably about four months later just saying that I had been selected for the next round of interviews and so had um, probably like two to three months of interviews and hoops to kind of jump through and then found out in September that I had been one of 100 people selected from the world um, to be a part of this new program and receive funding. And uh, it's a year-long partnership with Facebook. Um, I'm the only Canadian that was selected. And so, yeah, just um, learning more about how to be a better global leader, how to use Facebook as a bigger tool for change, how to be better for the people that I lead. Um, Funding helps, as always. And so just, yeah, going to Facebook in the Silicon Valley three times and, like, yeah, it's been wild. <laughs> wild. It's incredible. And, like, it kind of speaks to, like, the direction that hopefully society is going in, like, being aware of what is out totally. there. Yeah. And prioritizing the things that basically make us more sustainable as a, as a humanity kind of thing. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. So. And you essentially answered all the other questions, so we're moving on to Michelle. <laughs> yeah. All right. Perfect. So what do you do to maintain mental health? Oh my gosh, yeah, there's so many things. Um, movement's huge for me, obviously. Like, it's just something that I... I think it's so big for me because when I was younger, it wasn't. Like, I I was such an arts and drama girl. Like, I grew up singing. I grew up dancing. I was not athletic my entire life. And then I started to get into it slowly. And it just... I mean, it's unraveled in so many different areas from weight training to yoga to running and... Um, there was a speech that I listened to when I was kind of writing like my dad's funeral speech actually. And it was a guy who was talking about him marathon running and how 
he's like, you know what, if my dad could mentally endure what he did, I can endure 42 kilometers. And then somebody who was a big weightlifter, I was like, okay, I want to run. I want to see like what the mental component behind that is. Um, same with meditation, something that was super woo to me. I didn't understand it. I never, I would try and I'm like, this is stupid. Like my head's going crazy. And then when I was forced to actually do it in a course and then same with India, like you're, you're training for four hours every morning at the crack of dawn by yourself. It makes you go to some really powerful places that I would have never went to on my own here. Um, and just stopping, like I was so go, go, go. And for so many different reasons, but I think Sometimes we just wake up and we don't set our intention for the day and we just jump into it and life takes you and you're not directing where you want your life to go. You're just moving. And somebody looked at me and they're like, Michelle, stop, like just stop and be okay with feeling how you're feeling and not um, owning that identity, but just being like, this is where I'm at and talking. So with that, with owning where I was at, um, communicating to my partner was huge because Mark and I started dating at a time where it was like, kind of the height of my PTSD without me understanding it and him seeing me at like, oh, she's like this type A achieving type of person when really it was like, no, like I'm really struggling right now. And so I think just being like, okay, you need to open up to him and just like the darkest of the dark and sharing that with him and him looking at me afterwards and being like, I love you. And I'm going to sit here like through this with you. Like I remember looking at him and being like, I'm numb right now and him being like, cool, I'm going to be here until you feel again. And so I think a lot of people are so scared to talk when they're in that place. And I just want to say, I have never had a negative experience from talking in that place. I can maybe think of one to two moments where people have said things to me where I'm just like, oh, like maybe you're not educated on this area of mental health or that person. And that's okay. Like I've made mistakes in that realm too. We all do. We're human. But that 99% is so positive. And it's for me, every time I can talk, I'm healing. Um, and I think just finding like purpose and and things as well. So why am I doing this? Why am I going through this? Um, yeah. So a lot of, I'm trying to think of other sleep. Sleep is huge. Oh <laughs> I remember thinking for so long, like I don't need to sleep. And then no. when I actually started putting eight hours sleep and sort of when people like, I'm like, no wonder you're feeling mentally ill, man. Like you're, you're sleeping three to four hours and then you're getting if up and going. If I don't get eight to 10 hours of sleep, like yeah. I am, my mental health is like non-existent. I cannot yes. function. Yeah. It is the number one. Yeah. And I remember I had this coach when I was in QP for a while. He was like, you don't need to sleep. Like you can wake up and do the, and I was, I was waking up and going. And it was, I remember when I shifted to like, my life needs to be rest and recovery, not go, go, go. Maybe not yeah. at all phases and stages, but right now where your parasympathetic nervous system is like low and your sympathetic is like screaming at you all day, yeah. every day, like switch up what you're doing. Like, and if and, you need to sleep like all day every day for like a week do it do it do it and that's another thing that I'll say too like I'm sharing that I was doing all the I also laid in bed for a week sometimes yeah and that's okay yeah and it did not feel okay when I was going through it it felt like the end of the world and like I was broken but I think just remember it don't take it on as your identity it's a phase and a stage it's not forever and I have had that feeling of like I'm done it's so many times and then you move through it for me totally. anyways and so yeah those are some of the some of the things that's awesome. Thanks. What for you is out there if you feel alone? Like what would you what advice would you give to people? When you feel alone. Good advice. Um, I mean, there's a few things that come to mind with that. I mean, I have my core people that I'm comfortable reaching out to for sure. I think reaching out to a professional is phenomenal. I was in such a low place that I couldn't even pick up the phone to call a professional. So 
I mean, I'm stoked on let's talk. I'm also stoked on if you recognize that somebody in your life is not doing okay, even if they appear to be doing okay, maybe offer to help them. So I like, I had somebody who just, I had a lot of people who looked at me and they're like, Michelle, I'm going to call and book you an appointment. Like you need to go talk to somebody. So for me talk, and I, I had some negative psychologists, but it ended up taking, like now I go to an intuitive healer and she's a registered nurse and her husband's a doctor. And they very much so mix like Eastern and Western medicine. And that's my thing. And that's not for everybody, but it's made me reach out and explore. I love what you said about trying something new because this process of healing took me to some really like new places outside of my realm. And I didn't understand why I was going to them or experiencing them at certain points. And then I can look back now and connect and they're not all positive. Some of them are negative, but even the negative, I can understand why I went through it now. So um, definitely talking to people, definitely talking to a professional is very important. I think also learning like I am not my thoughts is extremely powerful. Like, yes, your thoughts do impact what you do, but I saw this presentation a year ago that I love. And she's like, we all have these ducks in our head that quack at us. And whether they quack and say like, I'm ugly, I'm shy, I'm fat, I'm not enough. They quack and quack. And she's like, you need to tell them to shut the duck up and to just like, take a second and distance yourself. And number one, is what your brain telling you, your mind telling you, like a lot of it, it's just our perceptions or it's our amygdala, like from survival mode from years ago, or they're not true. So just being like, number one, is that true? Like, am I really this? And you may find yourself, she's like, I found myself in a scenario where I thought I was fat, I was fat, I was fat. And like, I've had that thought so much. That's one of my, like I had severe body image struggles throughout my whole life and that's where that's, but for her, so she's like, my BMI is actually high. And, um, but it would stop me from like, I would look at a, a paddleboard and be like, I can't get on this paddleboard cause I'm gonna break it. And she's like, that's not true. Like, that's just not true. And then our next slide, she showed her paddleboarding. So I think just taking a second also, I think it's so powerful to learn your mind and just know that your mind is like so freaking powerful and there's so much potential with that. So what you believe, I think becomes true. And that's a big part of my message too. Like I believe that throughout this whole process, I would heal. It doesn't need to be the same way as other people, but I just believe that. And I attracted other people in my life. Like my doctor, he knew that I don't like to take medications. I'm not saying there's anything against medications by any means at all. I love that you touched on that because it's important. There's so many people in my life I know that heal that way and it's important. Like it's important for people to say that. Um, but for him, he kind of made a joke and like, he's like, okay, pulled out his prescription pad and gave me climb Mount Kilimanjaro because he knows I love to travel and climb. And for me, that was like, if somebody said to me at that time, like, oh, Michelle, you're really sick. You need this. I, I, maybe I would have went a different route. I don't know. And there's no right or wrong, but that's what I attracted because that's what I thought I needed at that time, which was for me interesting. But awesome and i think it's so important to like have the different perspectives 100 Mm percent, and that's i love the combination of perspective because it's so important to feel empowered with both whatever decision you make there's no right there's no wrong and that's why i love hearing people's true stories because you'll hear people who feel so strongly about so many different things and there's no right or wrong it's just that's their truth so this next part, uh, Michelle, you might have to rack your brain a little bit, but uh, I watched your video that you put up and you had a point where you talked about purpose and you put your hand on your heart. Yeah. I was wondering if you could kind of take us through that and sort of like recap and kind of take the listeners through it as well. Of course. So you guys have kind of heard me talk a little bit throughout this and I do think like throughout all of these painful scenarios and all of these lessons, like purpose is something that really kept me going. Like how 
what can I learn from this? How can I help other people with what I went through? How can I help myself? How can I grow as an individual? And how can I become more authentic and aligned? Um, with that being said, at the end of my speech, and something that I want everyone to do right now is to just put your hand on your heart. And just notice, can you feel it? It's called purpose. You're alive and never give up. And at my end of my speech, I just said, I love you, Dad. Never stop, I'll never stop remembering you and never stop guiding me. And with that, he has guided me in so many places throughout this. And um, there's so many things and so many experiences and people that I would have never been connected to like you guys. And um, I just want everybody to kind of know and hear that with my story and people who are going through a similar thing. And a lot of people say to me, you'll never be the same. And I didn't understand it at that moment. At that moment, it was a really negative, like, oh my God, I can't be this ill forever. Like, I just can't. And they didn't mean it that way. They meant you'll never be the same. Like, this will shape and shift you. It will give you more empathy. It will give you more understanding. It will give you more insight. And so take take as many positives and as much purpose as you can. Love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I think one of the most important things about this podcast is where we're honoring, honoring something that people don't talk enough about. And we're getting a little uncomfortable. We're, we're talking about things that we wouldn't share sometimes with a big audience. And that's the power of a podcast because it's a, a safe space. And then inevitably it gets shared with people and it empowers people and people can listen to it in their own time, in their own room. They don't have to be around other people. And what I really think we're doing is we're... Uh, honoring a legacy of, of so many people that they battle and they they die by suicide or so many other things that, that take away people that we love. And I just hope that uh, we can do justice to, to the people that we have lost and the people that are fighting the fight today. As, as a closing to this podcast, I always ask the same question on every episode that I have. So you'll answer it one at a time. If you could give one piece of advice on how to authentically live your life to the fullest, what would that piece of advice be? Hmm. Um, Michelle, maybe you should go first. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, listen, like listen to yourself, not what other people are telling you, not what you think you need to do, not what you think you should do and create an environment that you are able to do so. And not everybody's gonna listen in the same way. Some people, it could be through prayer, meditation, travel, sleep, whatever, but just create that space for yourself and just learn who you truly are and, and listen to that message. Don't second guess it. It's, it's telling you that for a reason. That's awesome. I think for me, um, hope has been a huge part of my life and like clinging to hope when I had none um, or not thinking that I'm worthy of hope or um, so for me, my biggest piece of advice to anyone is like when you are the lowest, when you think you have nothing, when you think you have no one, when you think you don't deserve to breathe, when you think you don't deserve to have a place on this planet, you don't think you deserve to take up space in this world um have hope that one day you will one day you will feel better and one day you will come out of this season and be in a new season where you know you deserve those things um and that 
hope has allowed me to get through what I've been through like 23 years of not believing that I was worthy or not or my illness telling me that I didn't deserve to take up space on the planet and it took me a really long time and I also understand that there's a large chance that I will go back to feeling that way that's just the nature of my illness like there will be times when I'm doing great and there'll be times when I'm really really sick and um, I'm grateful for those moments of wellness because they have given me hope for the moments when I'm not well. So um, I think my biggest piece of advice is always to have hope and there's always cause to have hope. So I like that. So thank both of you for joining me today. It means, it means a lot. And one of the most important things about this podcast that I would like to emphasize is if you're listening to this and it me- means something to you, I want you to make it loud. I want you to spread awareness of the importance of mental health, whether that be you telling your own story or you sharing this story. Just be loud. Tell your story. Spread spread awareness. It should be more than billboards that say, Bell, let's talk. And as much as I appreciate that, and it's such an important message, but each of us has something to say. And each of us has a voice and a role. So be loud. And without further ado, that closes us off. It's been a pleasure talking with you both. Thank you for Thank having me. Thank you so much. Yeah.